you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Today we're going to be looking at a passage in the set, Paul's second letter to Timothy, verses, or chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Hopefully you picked up a note sheet in the back. If you didn't, you should feel free to get up and go get one. It's just a plain, generic piece of paper. It has the text on it. Um, and it is this, it's a little package. It is a saying. You know, it actually says that it's a saying. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. And I got to thinking about sayings. Um, sayings are, you know, little short, pithy uh, phrases or sentences that we use to express a, a thought or a truth, you know, with, uh, with as few words as possible. You know, sayings, right? Everybody know that? Nod, let me know you're there. Yeah, you know what a saying is. Yes, thank you. Um, so I thought we would start by having uh, a finish the saying contest. You know, finish the sentence. You remember those tests you get? This is finish the saying. And I give you permission just to shout out, speak out, and show us your knowledge about saying. I start with some that are, that are more recent in culture, in our culture, and some then later on that are as old as the hills. So here we go. Here's the first one. It's the easy one. It is what it is. At the end of the, I hate that, but, you know, you can just say in the future. Or how about this one? I even hate this more, and one of my daughters uses this over and over. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie. Have you heard that? She actually grew up as, she was a liar as a kid. And so now she says, I'm not going to lie. I said, okay, I hope that's so. How about this one? Is the Pope... Yeah, he is. The night is darkest just before. Yes. A bird in the hand is worth. A chain is only as strong as its. Yeah. A dog is man's. Unless you have my dog. Um, Let's see. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a. Yeah, single step. Good. A leopard cannot change. Absence makes. All is fair. (laughs) An apple a day. Any port in the storm. As you sow, ask a silly question. Play a silly game. Wear people out. This morning, uh, we, as I said, we're, we're going to look at what many believe to be an early church saying. In other words, it was something in, in that first century, you know, as, as Christians began to meet together for church, they had these sayings. In fact, uh, most think that this was a hymn. These are the words of a hymn that was, was sung by believers in those, those early days. And uh, it's a saying, it's a bit longer than the ones we've just considered. But I want you to uh, note here at the beginning that it's something, you know, all of the sayings that I mentioned here aren't necessarily true, you may have noticed. But this is a saying that Paul declares to be absolutely trustworthy. There's not much in life that is absolutely trustworthy. But this is. Just to kind of set it, this whole thing up and think about the context that these words come to us. Um, the, like I said, the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy was, you might call him a son. Not, not a blood son, but a spiritual son to Paul. Paul had lovingly brought him along, mentored him, 
not only in his faith in Christ, but also in his ministry. He was doing that now when he was writing these letters because Timothy had a calling from the Lord like Paul. He wrote letters to Timothy basically to strengthen and encourage him. There's probably something here for us then, right? Because we need strength beyond our own and we need encouragement to be courageous. And he was strengthening him and encouraging him in the gospel. In fact, let me say right here, so in the note sheet, gospel means good news. And I I didn't count them up. There's maybe five or six statements of good news. You know, so if I do a poor job preaching, at least you can go home with that piece of paper and you can read that good news. And those pieces of good news are trustworthy. All right? At the time he wrote this, Paul was imprisoned in a dungeon. He was chained. You know, before he had been under house arrest, which gave him some freedom that he didn't have here. This was tough stuff. In a dungeon, below ground, chained, chained to the wall. He was also in his you know, latter stages of life. He was an old man at this point, at least for in those days. So imagine what might have been going on between Paul and Timothy. They're close. They're buddies. You know, they spent time together. They they were linked. Timothy, no doubt, would have had deep concern for Paul, for where he was, just that he was in prison, that he was older. And I'm sure he was also wondering... You know, if I follow Paul's example, which is what Paul was encouraging him to do, is this how I end up? (laughs) Is this a picture of what's going to happen to me and my flock, the church that, that that he was leading at the time? So I'm sure Paul knew that. I'm sure Paul could feel that. And so, again, he is writing to embolden Timothy, to strengthen him, to lift him up. And he pointed to two initial things. Uh, we're not going to spend time on this, but you would find these in, those, in, in the, the ten verses before our passage. Paul says, I might be chained, but the gospel cannot be chained. In fact, you know, the, the Apostle Paul was chained. He was the, the leading evangelist for the church at this time. He was chained... The gospel was going everywhere. The early growth of the Christian church was amazing. While Paul was in chains. When Paul was not in chains. It didn't matter. Because the gospel cannot be changed. It can't be changed today. The second thing he, he was conveying in those first ten verses is the gospel is well worth suffering for. It is that valuable. It is that important. It's worth suffering for and even dying for. It is that pearl of great price that Jesus talked about in one of his parables. It is, it is that treasure in the field that he talked about in another where the man found a treasure. It was the gospel. He went home. He sold all that he had so that he could purchase that field and have that treasure. The gospel is well worth Suffering for and even dying for. So the message, the context in a nutshell is from Paul to Timothy is fear not. Endure whatever comes. Keep to your calling. Keep preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Encouragement in the face of suffering from Paul to Timothy, his son. So here's a piece of good news. Here's the first good news statement in your notes. So... Even the context has good news. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ was we have been given the light to understand and believe is worth suffering and dying for. We are rich having the most valuable thing in the universe. If you are in Christ, in your possession, you have the light to understand and believe the gospel. There is nothing more valuable or important than that. Nothing.
We could also mention the other side of the coin is that the gospel is also worth living for. It's the thing that it can make our lives worth living. You know, it really, as a part of Jesus and His church, our preoccupation needs to be the spread of the gospel. You might not be an evangelist, but many are. You know, the evangelist is sort of the tip of the spear. But somewhere along that shaft, maybe even all the way to the end, you can do something to help, to send, to support. And when people, when the Lord brings somebody in front of you, you can say a word, say a word. The gospel is worth living for. The spread of the gospel is to be our preoccupation as a part of His church. I needed to hear that week, that this week myself, just to be reminded of that. You know, um, yeah. So let's go on to the verses itself. That was context. You can see the verses. I've got them printed out there. I've got those little. Uh, what do you call those? Uh, there's forwards and backwards. What are they, Linda? Those little bars. What? Yeah, that. That's because it's just like a poem, and so I try to divide it up for you, the lines as it appears. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will disown us. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? I first came upon those words when I was, you know, 40-some years ago, when I was in my 20s. And uh, I was doing youth ministry full-time and raising funds to do youth ministry. And somehow, some way, I got to be the, um, the song leader at camps and conferences. Now, I was not a very good song leader, but everybody else I worked with was worse. So, <laughs> you know, I was available. And I had this idea because I was young and stupid. Um, I thought I could write music, which I couldn't. But one day I got lucky. And I came up, you know, I took the words from this this saying in 2 Timothy. And actually it was from the RSV, another version of the Bible. So some of the wording is a little different. And I took some poetic license to to make it work and come back around. But this is what I came up with, and I thought I would teach it to you here as we read the text, and then we'll sing it again at the end. saying is sure the saying is sure the saying is sure the saying is sure why don't you sing that with me the saying is sure the saying is sure the saying is sure the saying is sure that if we have died with him, we will live with him. And if we endure with him, we will reign with him. But if we disown him, he will disown us, yet he is so faithful. 
When we are faithless, for he cannot deny himself. We are his chosen, he cannot deny himself. We are his chosen, the saying is sure. The saying is sure. The saying is sure. The saying is sure. So that's our saying. That's that's pretty cool. And I just love this passage. And it starts out, you know, the first part of verse 11 is not really part of the hymn. It's not really part of the poem. It's like a little bit of commentary that Paul gives. And I've already told you. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Good news. Here's, Here's something that is trustworthy. Words that are worthy of our complete trust and confidence, words that will always be true forever and ever, that you can count on, that you can cling to for life. You might remember that when Jesus stood before Pilate during his um, trial, he told Pilate, Jesus said to Pilate that he had come to testify to the truth. Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth. At which the governor asked a rhetorical question out loud. And he said, what is truth? Come on, Jesus. What truth? What is truth anyway? In other words, he said, there's no such thing as truth. This guy that had been worn down by politics and by the, you know, the empire and all that stuff. He's like, nothing is sure anymore. I think that we can be a little like Pilate. Because we get so accustomed to being lied to that we can feel that way. I've noticed, ask my wife, that we are lied to regularly. I mean, I think we get lied to so much that it just rolls off our back. We're lied to through advertisements, through our politicians, news commentators, our culture, our teachers. Not all of them, but... Some of them, and even some preachers. For example, just take this pill and lose the weight. I mean, if it, we might be in between those pills, but there will be another one of those pills come out soon, I'm sure. Or just rub this cream on the sore spot, no more pain. I went through two jars of that. Expensive jars. Um, Use this pillow and sleep like a baby. That's all you need to get good sleep is the right pillow. Sorry if you love that pillow. Not my pillow, but... (laughs) Abortion is a woman's right to choose. Send in your money, your seed money, and you will reap God's richest material blessings. I think we're lied to all the time, one way or another. Pay attention to that. That doesn't mean that there isn't something that is trustworthy. But it's been like this for a long time. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writes of sinful and wayward Judah. He says, truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. Now, that was a long time ago, but that's how it was in God's city and amongst his people. Truth is nowhere to be found. It's stumbled in the street. Honesty, they they prevent honesty from entering. So how much is that like our own day, our own nation? Now, against that kind of dark background, Paul displays this gospel message, this truth. 
I, I kind of think of it as like, you know, when you go to buy a diamond, which, by the way, a diamond will make your, your lady as happy as she could possibly be. That's another one of those lies. But when you go to buy it, sometimes the jeweler will take that beautiful diamond out and put it on a, 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 like a dark blue velvet cloth. You just see all that brilliance. So against that dark, you know, our culture of lies, here's the gospel message. There's a concept uh, that Francis Schaeffer came up with, and he called it true truth. Have you ever heard of that? True truth. <laughs> Do you kind of get where he was going? You know, it was kind of dealing with, in our society, probably back when, when I was young, truth became whatever you believed. If you believed hard enough, that made it truth. It might be in conflict with another truth that somebody else has, but that doesn't matter as long as we both believe in it. We make it true. That is not true. That might make a person feel good for a time, but it, it won't long term. And it's not true. And so Francis Schaeffer came up with this idea, true truth. It wasn't a new idea. It's just truth. Um, it was something that is true even if nobody else believes it at all. No human being. True truth. Something that I, I found by looking in my concordance was that over and over in the gospel accounts, when Jesus began to speak or to say something, he often would start by saying, I tell you the truth. And then he would go on to speak. But he would start by saying, I tell you, this is true. I tell you the truth. If you look in your concordance, an exhaustive concordance, which is that book that's about this thick, you, and you look up, I tell, or I tell you, or, yeah. And I mean, you know, there's a column this long where Jesus, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Of himself in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 3, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is equating his teaching, his gospel teaching, the Bible, as the truth. And not only that, the truth that will set you free. Well, this truth is a freeing thing when you finally see it, come to realize it. It will set us free from lies and sin and ignorance, stupidity, bad acting, hopelessness. Set us free from ourselves. Let me give you some examples. You know, a long time ago, people thought the world was flat. They didn't venture out very far. Then they got the truth. The world was round. And here we are today in Indiana. How about that? Truth makes an impact. If you believe that... Oh, no. I didn't mean to say it that way. There is a truth that God is sovereign over all things. As creator, he is sovereign and reigns over all things. All things. Every man, every molecule. Think of him as the author of the history of the world, the story of the world. And you know, an author has authority over everything that goes in the book, right? That's, that's God. And so if that's true, what does that say about what's happening right now, either to you personally or out in the world? It means he's in control somehow, some way, mysteriously. And it means for us, if we really embrace that, it leads to inner peace. If God's in control, we're good, right? We are. Okay. I'm going to skip the last one. So let's, let's go on. So the good news of, of this part is that there is truth. There is true truth. There is a word that is trustworthy to the bone that always has been, will stand forever and ever. We have it here before us today in the personal work of Jesus Christ and in this, in this saying. So let's go on to the second half of uh, verse 11, which is where the song begins. 
And it simply says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. You know, it's an if-then statement. Except the then is implied. If we died with him, we also live with him. Now notice that the dying takes place in the past. And not in the future. So it's not talking about the end of our physical lives. It's talking about something else. There's two possibilities. They're probably both true. I think the second is, is probably what Paul had in mind. But, you know, when we, when we come to Christ and believe in Him as Savior and Lord, that is known as dying to self or dying to the world. So those initial steps of faith, it's like giving up control to God, taking your hand off of the wheel, letting Jesus become the pilot rather than you. Um, You might remember back, uh, or maybe you've seen this Four Spiritual Laws booklet that Campus Crusade used to use. Um, And in in that booklet, it had uh, an illustration of the throne of your life. And on that throne is either you or the Lord God. And a decision to believe is to put him, to put the Lord in his rightful place of authority in your life on the throne. And you get off and allow him to direct your life, dying to self. That could be one of the possibilities of what died with him means. But a second one, and I, I think a better one for, for this song It it, it refers to the death that Christ died on our behalf and for our benefit. Follow me here. In another place, another letter, Paul... Oh, man, I keep losing my place. In another letter... um, Paul says that believers were chosen. You, if you're a believer today, you were chosen and in Christ before the foundations of the earth, before any of this was created, you were chosen and in Him. God exists outside of time. And if that's true, then when Jesus died on the cross for sin, we also died with Him because we were in Him. And further, when He rose, we rose too. In a mystical, real, spiritual sense, if you are in Christ today, you are also in Christ when He died, and therefore you died with Him. And if you have died with Him, you will live with Him too. You have participated with Him in His death, and you will also participate with Him in His resurrection to new life. It's beautiful in the story of Lazarus when Jesus arrives and, you know, Lazarus is the man that Jesus brought back from the dead, one of the men, and his sister Martha was there. And Jesus tells Martha, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So Jesus here and in our hymn and in this piece of a verse is presented as the antidote to death. There is an antidote to death and it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You think of all the problems that man has and he's got a bunch. You could, you know, we could name a list forever long, but the greatest problem is, is death. Physical death brought about by sin. And we'll all face that. You know, the the time is flowing and ticking. And there will come a time when we breathe our final breath. We don't like to think about that. But maybe we can if we're in Christ. Because Christ is the antidote to death. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. When our physical lives pass, then we go to life after death. That's our souls in heaven enjoying the presence of God. That's our souls at rest with the Father. I don't know what all that means, but I know it's good. 
Then at another appointed day, sometimes referred to as the day or the day of the Lord, the day when Christ will come again to execute judgment over the living and the dead, at that time all the dead will resurrect out of their graves and the bodies of those that who have died with him will be resurrected to live with the Lord eternally in this earth made new and perfect again without sin, without sorrow, without pain, without conflict. And we will live eternally with him. So the against this Dark black backdrop of death shines the brightest news ever. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. That's the ultimate good news solution to man's greatest problem. It enables us to do things like embrace our mortality, to look death in the face and be okay, to embrace, if you're old like me, to embrace your age. What am I closer to? Maybe some bad things physically, mentally, but ultimately the best thing, the best is yet to come. It's not here. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Living in a first world country, things are so good and we're so pampered that we forget that it's coming to an end. On on the back of your note sheet, I have listed uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, which in that passage, we're not going to read it, but Paul speaks of his own longing to go and be with the Lord. That's not morbid. That's a good thing. <laughs> when uh, I worked for Youth for Christ and I was doing a lot of this playing music and stuff and, and we would go to camps and conferences and we would, um, <clears throat> usually our camps lasted for a week, but sometimes we had different schools that are off at different times and so there would be a string of two or three weeks, and I would do the music for all of them. So a lot of times I would stay over, and I would—I was a young guy then, and I was newly married, and I would get so homesick. And so uh, our, our evangelist was, was my boss, and so we would be together a lot. And one of the things he taught me, other than just how to laugh and how to enjoy enjoy the Lord, was he taught me the going home game. And it was just great. And so here's how the going home game goes. On the first day of camp, I'm not sure who we were against. Who, I guess we were playing against the kids, but we were really for them. But on the first day of camp, it was one to four. It was a five-day camp. On the second day of camp, there were two days gone, three to go. On the third day of camp, which is Wednesday, called hump day, right? That's because it was three to two. We were now in the lead. And I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And even though I'd been up all night, you know, and got two hours of sleep every night, um, it was getting better. And then it would be four to one, and then five to zero, and we're on our way home. It was just, somehow that helped me. I mean, it was fun to play that with Bill, and every day, you know, we'd see each other and be like, two, one. But it was the anticipation of going Somewhere I wanted to go. I wanted, I, I wanted to go home. I enjoyed what I was doing too, but there's a sense I want to go home. And I mean, can I not take that into my, my life now in terms of my physical life and going home to be with Jesus? Should I be dreading that day or should I be anticipating that day? I don't know what the score is now in my life. It's probably at least... Three to two, maybe four to one. I don't, I don't know, but it's okay. I mean, my dad died when he was 70. I'm going to be 67 for long. If it's so, it's good news. So the good news, another good news statement. When the worst happens to the believer, meaning death, you know, worst physical, the best happens. Death can be seen as a door that opens to life after death and then again at the appointed time to to what one person has called life after life after death, which is the new earth, the recreated earth after the resurrection. There is nothing better than this. The best is yet to come. 
We can stop there, but there's more good news in verse 12, the first part, and it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Another if then. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. You know, enduring means walking through whatever the Lord sets before you with him in his strength. Enduring means going all the way to the end, finishing. Um, I coach tennis, middle school tennis. It's ugly. But, you know, the coolest thing is I, I don't require that the guys win every match. I would like them to win every match. We've had success the last couple seasons. But the main thing is that they endure every match and that they play at the end like they played at the beginning, enduring, getting through. They might, they'll make a lot of mistakes. They might lose really bad, but they endure. They go through. They press on. It's hard, but it's worth it. That's what endurance means. It does not mean perfection. We're not talking about perfect endurance. You'll never be perfect in this life. It means being faithful over the long haul. It means you will fail. It means you get back up. You fall, you stumble, you get back up, you go on. Keeping the faith no matter what. And this says that if we do that, then that will one day allow us to assist with the exercise of the Lord's providence in the new earth. If we endure with Him, we will reign with Him. That sounds pretty good. We will reign with the Son, capital S, as the sons and daughters of God, as His princes and princesses. That is the prize. That is the reward that makes life worth living. That's what makes life worth living. Now. It makes it worth it even though there's hardship even though there's difficulties, we can be encouraged by that great hope for tomorrow. Now, I, I don't know if you ever think, well, yeah, okay, that's good. We're going to reign with Jesus in the new earth. What does that look like practically? What does that look like? Not sure. Not a lot there about that. But bottom line, I believe this to mean that there will be meaningful work and stewardship for us to do in service to God in the new earth in life after life after death there will be meaningful work and service for us to do we're not going to sit around on clouds playing harps well some of us might I mean that could be your, your work sir. but that's not what it's going to look like it's going to be here on the face of a renewed earth and think of it this way, you know, all even now in time, all work and service, ministry involves some measure of reigning. In other words, an exercise of authority. Uh, for example, like as a tennis coach, I, I exercise some God-given authority. The school gives it to me, the athletic director gives it to me, but ultimately it comes from God. And I am exercising, I am reigning over that little slice of life that God has given me. That's a good thing. I want to do that to give Him glory. Um, also, as I get a garden in my backyard, uh, I reign over the dirt, the plants, and the trees, which I enjoy. That's raining. That's, God has given me something to do and to enjoy that is participating with Him. I do that even now. We will continue to do that in eternity. In other words, there will be meaningful, satisfying work for us, but without all the frustrations that we so often encounter in time. Now that's pretty good news. That's pretty good news. Let me just make sure that, you know, when I say enduring, it does not imply perfection. Endure with Him does not mean to be perfect because we never will be. It means no defection. No walking away from Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. If, Pilgrim's Progress, if you haven't, you should. 
No shame, though, if you haven't. It's okay, but it's a great book. And if, if you know that story, you think of Christian and his walk and how it wasn't perfect. And there were times when he, he got out of the way and he had to backtrack and come back over and get in the way that led to the celestial city and the gate. But he kept on coming back. Repentance. You know, for us to live the perfect life as Christians, it involves a lot of repentance. It means be perfectly repentant. Let the Lord show you the stuff in your life and then say, God, help me. I am weak. So I like that illustration of of Pilgrim getting back in the way. He wasn't perfect, but he kept on and he made it. He crossed the river and he made it to the end. Something else you may have heard of uh, sustaining grace. There's saving grace, dying grace. What's in between? Sustaining grace, enabling grace. That means that whatever the Lord puts before you, whatever it is, job to do, cross to bear, test or trial, He will walk with you and He will give you as much grace as you will need to endure. So you can rely on Him for your endurance. He wants you to rely on Him for your endurance. The Lord is our strength. Have you ever heard that? The Lord is our song. Have you ever heard that? Of course you have. When we faint, He will carry us. When we fail, He will restore us. It's a beautiful thing. So Christian, today, your faith in Christ Jesus is the most important thing about you. It is a gift of grace. It is, it is more valuable than anything in the world. It's like that second song we sang, which was so good. Paul was telling Timothy that it was worth suffering for, even dying for. And if he did, as Paul soon would, there would be a great reward at the end, reigning alongside Jesus in the world made new again. Paul never makes it out of the dungeon. He did. But if he didn't, it would be okay. Timothy gets thrown in the dungeon. He dies in there. He didn't, but it'd be okay. Good news. The saying is sure. If we endure, he will, we will reign with him. Every test of your faith and every sorrow will in no wise diminish the greatness and the wonder of your reward to come. Now, let's go on and finish this up. Starting in the middle of verse 12 and going through 13, it says, If we disown Him, He will disown us. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. Very interesting. Verse uh, 12b is straightforward and easy to get. It just simply is another if-then thing. If we disown the Messiah... He will disown us. In other words, if we walk away from Jesus in unbelief, we don't take Him, we don't put him on the, allow Him to be on the throne of our life, He will walk away from us. He will leave us to our choice. Or we could say He will pass over us. Now, by unbelief, I, I, I mean to not believe that Jesus is the resurrected Lord and Savior. That's unbelief. To not trust Jesus, to know that you have a sin problem and a death problem and you need a Savior. Unbelief means none of that. Leaving that. His free offer of salvation. There's not much good news there, but look at what, look at what comes next. All these statements so far have been equivalent and they've been straightforward. If if died with him, live with him. If endure with him, reign with him. If disown him, if we disown him, he will disown us. Now it says, if we are faithless, then he will remain faithful. For he cannot deny himself. This is an inequivalent statement. When we're faithless, 
Jesus continues to be faithful to us. When we act faithlessly, remember Jesus over and over again says, where's your faith? You look like you've lost your faith. Well, they, they still believe in Jesus, but they were acting faithlessly. When we do that, he continues to be faithful, perfectly faithful. Now that's good news. You know, when I was growing up as a kid in a holiness church, I thought every time I made a mistake or I intentionally sinned, God cut me off. Cut me off. And I would have to start over again. Not true. Not true. If you're a son or daughter of the Father, that is a sure thing. That is a sure thing. Whether you're acting obediently or not at any moment. Now you want to act obediently. And you want to pray for that. And you want to seek God's grace for that. But He will not leave you. So, what I believe we have here is this sort of wonderful, inequivalent thought or truth at the end of a song. You know, it's a song. It's a hymn. And so it goes along, you know, like it was, everything. And then you get to this closing. And, oh, that's different. Because you would think it would be, if we are faithless, then he's faithless toward us. You know, he stops being faithful to us. It's not like that. He continues to be faithful. Praise the Lord. Do you, do you see that? So what I'm saying is faithless here on our part is not equivalent to disowning or disavowing. Rather, it refers to those times or time periods when we mess up when we fail to act in faith, when we fail to trust God's word, when we fail in our following, when we get off the path and out of the way, we take the broad way instead of the narrow way, the bad way instead of the good way. We are all weak and and the Lord knows that. We are as weak as can be. And the Lord knows our weaknesses. He chose you anyway. He's faithful to you anyway. He knows that you are but dust. Loves you anyway. He's faithful to you anyway. He knows that we still battle our sin nature. He paid the penalty for all our sins, even the ones we've yet to commit. And when we do, when we act faithlessly, He won't. He will forever be faithful to us. He will be patient with us. He will be long-suffering with us. He will endure all of our failures and continue to lead us along to a better place. So, what I see here is, is a wonderful, kind of a wonderfully encouraging finish to this saying. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful is a joyful exclamation of the gospel. So, in the end, the last bit of good news that I have for you there in your note sheet. When you act faithlessly, Jesus does not disown you. No, when you are faithless, He always remains faithful. For to disown you, His brother or sister, you are a brother or sister to Jesus if you are in Christ, would be to disown Himself and our Heavenly Father. Because we are related to Jesus by His blood. We are related to God the Father through Jesus' blood. And so, if He would disown us, it would be like disowning Himself. Um, Something that might be helpful is to think of this as the difference, uh, the disowning in, in contrast to the faithlessness that we sometimes have. Think of it as the difference between Judas Iscariot and Peter at at Jesus' trial and suffering and crucifixion. Remember Peter? Remember Peter around the fire when Jesus was being spoken to and, and abused? Peter fearfully denied knowing his master. He acted faithlessly. Rather than stepping up, yeah, I know him. I'm one of his followers. He said, I've never seen the man. I don't know him. 
But while all that happened, he was in the end sorrowful, humble, repentant. And he was reinstated by Jesus and carried on more faithfully from that point onward. In fact, Peter was a lot more humble after that, I think. Judas Iscariot, on the other hand, disowned Jesus by handing him over to the guards. And in so doing, he walked away from Jesus, never to return, and eventually took his own life. He disowned Jesus. Jesus disowned him. Peter was acted faithlessly. Jesus continued to be faithful with him. I hope that helps a little bit. I want to close with uh, what is sometimes referred to as the Judoxology. And it is the last uh, scripture on your page. It says Jude 24 and 25. Those are not two chapters. Jude is a very short book, so those are two verses. And they're often used. I, I used to love to use them in my church to close close our time together. It's sort of a, a blessing and a doxology. And look at what it says. To him, God, Lord, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling. And, and actually, I memorized this. Uh, one of the versions says, to keep you from falling. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. See, he's able to do that. You are unable to do any of that. But he will do that for you. He will help you endure. And he will take you to the very end. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. He's, he's going to keep you from stumbling. He's going to keep you from falling. He's going to present you before His glorious presence. That means in glory, without fault. Because we, we sang a song, we're dressed in the robes of Jesus' righteousness. Without fault. And with great joy, He loves to think of presenting you in glory, without fault and with great joy. Beautiful.